Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 170, and really, really excited this week to have on the, the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Hall of Famer, 20, class of 2021, Eddie Andrist, and he has done a lot of terrific, terrific things with the game. Uh, I know, Coach, I, when, when I was starting out in my, my coaching career, I, I watched. I, I'm dating myself a little bit here, Coach, but I, <laughs> I, I, I saw a couple of your VHSs on the run and jump uh, yep. press. So um, I, I don't like to use the O word. I like to use the E word. I'm experienced. Um, uh, but uh, so uh, always admired your work, and, and I'm really excited to have you on the podcast here today, Coach. Um so, but before we get going with Coach Andrist, uh, we of course want to thank our founding sponsor, Cosac Chiropractic, located at one four four five zero Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha. Coaches, if you or any of your athletes are struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see Doctor Kevin or Doctor Heidi. Give them a call four zero two nine six four zero three zero zero. Uh, follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're you're on iTunes. Go to iTunes, download, rate, review, subscribe. Please subscribe. Give us five stars. Help us move up in the rankings. When, when folks look up Coaching Basketball Podcasts, we want to move up there as, as high as we can. Uh, questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com and go check out a penandanapkin.com. By the time you listen to this, I'm going to give the website a little bit of an upgrade. I've got uh, a little four-day weekend here. And I want to do some stuff with the website that I've been negating to do just because, you know, I've been busy coaching my own team and doing all this other stuff. So, uh, coaches, be sure to check out a pen and a napkin.com. So, uh, coach, like I said, just really excited to have you on the podcast this week. I've uh, watched your stuff for a, a long, long time. And, and so, for me, uh, this is a, a little bit of a thrill as well. So, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, Marty, and I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, uh, Eddie, you know, uh, you've had a, a, a great career, uh, a, a career that spanned almost five decades. Uh, and, and so for, you know, I'm pretty familiar with you, but for folks that are not as familiar with you, uh, tell us about your, your basketball journey and, and, and uh, uh, some of your stops along the way and what you got going on right now. Well, what's really great is that basketball has taken me around the world, and I certainly appreciate what all the people that I've met and all the experiences that I've had, you know, being uh, head coach of two different college programs, Mount Scenario and UW Stout, and then three high schools, Lafarge High School, Stockbridge, and Stanley Boyd, and then certainly going overseas and coaching in the country of Qatar, and uh, that was a wonderful experience, winning two gold medals, beating heavily favored China and Saudi Arabia, and so it's it's I've always told people that, you know, it's, it, and we've all said this, you know, that this isn't a job. This is a, a passion. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if you don't, it's not a job. You never, you never mind uh, going and getting after it because uh, I've always said, you know, if it's, if, if it's not a job, you've never worked a day in your life. So it's just been great. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're a Wisconsin guy. You, you, you've been pretty much Wisconsin pretty much through and through, haven't you coach? Yeah, all the high schools and all the, the both colleges 
are Wisconsin and obviously Qatar is in the Middle East, but yeah, yeah. yeah that's where I've been. Yeah, a little, little bit different landscape in, in, in Qatar than it, than it is in uh, Madison or Milwaukee or one of those places. So I'll tell you, yeah, one, one time I went golfing with my assistant coaches and it was a merely 125 degrees Fahrenheit, no problem. <laughs> Didn't need any sunscreen at all, did you? Uh, no, I'll tell you, you don't sweat because when you do sweat, it evaporates. So, but it was pretty, pretty warm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you are, uh, coming from, uh, this, uh, this era of Wisconsin basketball. And, and, uh, when, when I sent my, my stuff, uh, to you to, to, to fill out before we got going here, um, you put down a couple of guys that are really, really familiar with a lot of basketball coaches, a lot of basketball fans, uh, both Wisconsin guys, Bo Ryan and Dick Bennett. Uh, yet, in a lot of ways, you know, I, I didn't think, uh, I thought it was part of kind of the Wisconsin State Constitution that you had to play pack line defense in the state of Wisconsin, and, and you're you're teaching the run and jump and, and kind of flying around and pressuring the ball full court and, and that type of stuff. So, uh, you know, you have these two really big influences, but yet, a lot of your basic philosophy are really, really different from one another. How how did your relationship evolve with Coach Bennett and Coach Ryan over the years that, you know, you're kind of doing one thing and they're doing the other, but I'm sure you're picking each other's brains all the way through with that. You know, I was very fortunate uh, to get to know Bo and Dick uh, extremely well. I worked their basketball camps back in the day when I was younger. And, uh, you know, got a chance to sit and talk to them many, many times and obviously coached in the WIAC when it was the WSUC and Bo was at Platteville. Mm-hmm. And then Dick, you know, I've known Dick and his family for a long time. And But, you know, you look at you, what, what, you, what we all do as coaches, we, we take little bits and pieces sure. from everybody. And, and you look at Bo Ryan, uh, you know, it used to be, I'll give you just an example, it used to be where, as coaches, we would say, well, if we turn the ball over 15, 20 times, as long as it doesn't get over 20, well, Bo put a kibosh to that. You know, he doesn't want to turn the ball over ever, and he was right. You know, turn the ball over is an incredibly uh, poor situation for your team, and it comes down to attitude. And then when you talk about Dick, you talk about Dick Bennett and, you know, just the defensive. His defense came down to the inch, and I will tell you with no reservations – and this is no criticism of any anybody in the coaching pr- profession, uh-huh. is that Dick was by far the best defensive basketball coach in the history of the game. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of and that includes a lot of good names that go around him, but he had his defense down to the inch and he was so good at it. And if you really delve deep into it and, and you could, you know, get into that kind of a mindset, your defense was awfully good. Uh-huh. What what were some of the things that uh, let, let's let's go back to Coach Ryan here. Uh, you know, sureness, as as Coach Meyer used to call it. Um, you know, what were some of the things that you saw Coach Ryan do when it came to sureness that helped his teams take such good care of the basketball? Well, the thing is, again, as as I said earlier, it's what I found out is that first and foremost, it's all about attitude. Kids, as we all know. Kids will get away with what you allow them to get away with, and they'll if they if you don't think turning the ball over is too bad, then they're going to turn the ball over. And Coach Ryan just put his foot down and said, "Turnover is not acceptable." And whether you were 
uh, you know, their best players or they're not their 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 bench players. If you turn the ball over, you were coming out of the game, and he just set that mindset uh, to take care of the basketball. And and I thought it was just to me, it was just as much of a mindset as it was his breakdown uh, drills that he would run to be more ball sure. Uh, but again, I learned from him that again that take care of the basketball stopping the basketball you know i i played coach ryan as an assistant coach and i also played him at uw stout Mm -hmm. when he was at wisconsin Mm -hmm. and i'll tell you it was always a clinic to to watch his teams play and see what they were doing both offensively and defensively Mm -hmm. And, and with coach bennett and and obviously legendary you know both these guys are legendary but you know uh when when you think of like i said when you think of pack line you know, Dick Bennett, Tony Bennett, those are the first two names that, that come to mind. Again, what were some of the things that you saw Coach Bennett do to to make that defense? Like you said, you, you believe he's the best defensive coach that you've ever seen, or he, he prepared the best defense ever. You know, what did you see from Coach Bennett that uh, made that happen? Well, he, defensively, he had everything broken down to the minute uh, spots. In other words, he would repetition, 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 exact how he wants to play certain situations where people are on the floor and they were and they were exact in other words there was no room for error in other words he had it he had it down as i've always said about dick bennett he had it down to the inch mm-hmm. you know if you were an inch out of position he would make sure you were corrected and i'll tell you i gained a lot of respect for that just his passion defensively now offensively you know with 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 the blocker mover which he kind of he rather invented you know, he, I, if you ask him, I think personally, offense was not more his forte as much as it was defense. And he struggled a little bit offensively mm-hmm. over the years, just trying to figure out how he wanted to play. But again, both men, Bo and Dick, they were both uh, top uh, references for me to get, you know, basketball jobs. And it was just wonderful to have them as part of my circle. Sure. You've... Uh... You, you've had a great career coach. You've seen a lot of things. You've been to a lot of places. You spent a lot of time with a lot of really, really good coaches. Uh, in, in, in the really grow, uh, really good slash great coaches that, that you have spent time with, what are some of the common qualities that, that you've seen within the, the, the greats, the, 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 the really, really high level folks that, that you've spent time with? To me, the great coaches that I have spent a lot of time with over the years is, and I, and I'll, and I'll talk about, you know, guys like Don Meyer. At I spent time with Don Meyer when he was uh, down in Nashville, mm-hmm. and then when he was out in, in South Dakota. And uh, you know, it's just the, their attention to detail. In other words, they leave nothing. They leave nothing to chance. In other words, I always make the joke that. Well, how you tie your shoes? They let they they had a strategy on that, and so the thing is, is that guys that are really like Mike Dunlap, who was at Metro State. Yep. I know him very well, and then of course he went into the, the pros and uh, talk about detail to listen. I went to a clinic that he uh, put on in Denver, and I never took so many notes in my life because everything he <laughs> said made so much sense in terms of their detail. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I've, uh, 
you know, before Coach Meyer passed away, I got a chance to go up to a couple of his coaches' clinics in South Dakota. Uh, had a chance to have Coach Dunlop on the on the or Dunlap on the uh, the podcast, and uh, just just such just highly detailed uh, stuff. What's the art? And I think this is the art to coaching, Eddie. You you want to be highly detailed, but you don't want your kids to be robotic. So what's what's the art to it to be that detailed, but yet at the same time give the kids freedom to make the plays that you know kids are going to need to make uh, to, to, ha- to make your team successful? Well, you know, it's all about practice schedule, and obviously we're going to talk about that in, in the second uh, part of this. But, uh, you know, when you, you need to spend an, an inordinate amount of time with your practice schedule because your practice needs to be really active, mm-hmm. and it needs to have a lot of energy and excitement in it. And just like you said, you need to put uh, situations – into the practice where your kids have to make their own decisions and your kids are allowed to the freedom to play. The run and jump press is a lot like that because it's not A to B to C to D. And a lot of coaches, we, a lot of coaches, their whole lives, including myself, our whole lives, you know, as we were growing up, everything was A to B to C to D. You know, if A A does this, then B does that, C reacts to this, et cetera. And so I think you have to, again, have a great, uh, culture and environment with your players well they know that you trust them and then you give them the freedom to do some things within the offense and the defense to make it better mm-hmm. and, and you're doing that through uh, like cutthroat uh, four on four small sided games those type of things I'm assuming coach and not only that but it's, it's a mental thing like uh, when you scrimmage I, you know one of the mistakes I made as an early coach is I never scrimmaged I just Break down, break down, break down, break down, which was good. We were good with it. But then I, we'd play our first game or our first uh, real scrimmage, and we were horrible because we, <laughs> pl- we hadn't played yet. Yeah. And all of a sudden, and, and I remember Mike Dunlap uh, telling me, talking to me about that. And, you know, had, laying the kids, you know, a five-minute scrimmage, a seven-minute scrimmage, taking stats, videotape. And then you let the kids coach themselves. In other words, you have you find out who your team captains really are by – who takes control of their group. Those kinds of things really make a solid basketball program. Mm-hmm. Coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs. And now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. Like you said, Coach, uh, you, you got the opportunity to coach internationally uh, the town or the town, geez, the the country of Qatar. Uh, you you uh, led them uh, for a couple of, of rounds of international play in two thousand and two thousand seven. Uh, just out of curiosity, how did a guy from Wisconsin end up being the the head coach of a national team of a Middle Eastern nation? Uh, quick story: Dave Buss, who used to be the head coach at UW Green Bay then went on to St. Olaf, and then also was the assistant to Jerry Tarkanian at okay. UNLV. Mm-hmm. Dave Buss, good friend of mine. I saw him I saw him at the Final Four, which I always do when I go. I see him at the Final Four. And I had asked him, 
you know, I knew he had been overseas. I didn't even know where he was at. I said, you know, have you still have any contacts overseas? Because I'd be interested in looking at that. He said, no, Eddie, I haven't talked to anybody for years. And so I, you know, I have no contacts over there anymore. I said, well, if anything ever comes up, let me know. I fly home from the final four. <laughs> the next day I get a call from Dave Buss. Qatar had called him. What are the odds of that? And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. He set me up uh, to get a hold of the manager that was in charge of the whole thing, Rashid Abdul. And uh, the rest is history. What a wonderful experience for me. Took my family over there uh, a couple of times, and they got to see the Middle East and got to travel the world. And I am absolutely so fortunate and lucky. And obviously, we were very successful winning the gold medal in the Asian uh, Games and then also the Gulf Countries game. We won the gold medal. Those were the first gold medals they had ever won. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you got there, you know, preparing your team, how long did you have to prepare your team? Did you have some film to look at it? Tryouts, you know, just kind of walk us through what it's like to, to take over an international situation. Yeah. The biggest thing you do is what's really nice is you travel to another country and train. Uh So you'll be gone. You'll be out of country for a month. They want to get the players out of the country. Plus, obviously they want to go to a, maybe a climate that's not quite as hot. Mm -hmm. And so they want to get to a little, so we went to Slovenia we went to Yugoslavia, and we would train for a month. And then while we were training, we would have friendly games. Uh, you know, I remember uh, coaching against the uh, one of the draft choices were the Chicago Bulls, seven, seven-footer that, that was a big-time, big, big player. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we'd play friendly games, and then we would, we would organize ourselves uh, for the Asian and the golf games. Uh, and get ready for that. And then when I went back in 2007, we were trying to uh, we were competing to qualify for the Olympics, and that that uh, tournament was in Tokushima, Japan. Cool, awesome. Uh, what what did you learn about the game uh, through through your international experience? Well, the biggest thing I learned, and you're going to laugh at this, but I learned what it's like to just have to coach, <laughs> not have to fundraise, not have to recruit. <laughs> Not have to deal with bed check. Not have to deal with meals. I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. All I did was coach basketball. That made me a much better coach because I could prepare better. And every, everything else was taken. I didn't have to worry about flights, travel. Everything was taken care of. And so what happened is is that I could prepare greatly for how to prepare for the tournaments. And, uh, boy, was that fun. Mm-hmm. And I know coaches out there will know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, all the things we do outside of coaching takes up about 90% of our time and 10% is actually getting to work with our team and coaching. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what did you, uh, what were you able to pick up? What, uh, what does the international game do? What are some things that you picked up in the international game that you were able to bring back to the States that, that helped your teams in Wisconsin? Well, one of the things I, I will tell you in general, the international game is such a much freer game than the than the United States game. Uh, the United States game is a little bit more uh, restricted. Uh, for instance, uh, I, I think that in the United States, at the high school level and the college level, we should be playing the four quarters. We played the four quarters like the women do, like the WNBA and the NBA does. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I brought back to the WIAC was I talked the coaches into lining up at the free throw line extended on each end 
And then it's to do the national anthem. And then when the national anthem was done, we would all walk to center court and shake hands. Uh-huh. And I thought that was really great for camaraderie. Uh, coaches liked it for a while, but then there evidently was some situations where they ran into somebody or somebody got in the way. I don't know. You know, you always, there's always something. Yeah. So we stopped doing that. But I'll tell you, it's, uh, you learn to deal with a 24 second clock, uh, which is pretty quick. Uh, it just it's just a freer type of basketball uh, when it came to things like uh, when the official would give the ball to the free throw shooter, all of a sudden two guys on the base or on the free throw lane decide they want to switch spots. They just switch spots. Nobody cares. Nobody worries about them being out of position. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's it's a free game where they kind of let the players play and they don't worry about getting too crazy with the rules. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. What were some of the biggest adjustments that you had to make tactically? Well, the twenty-four second clock. You know, you don't you don't run a lot of plays. You run a lot of isolation material. Uh, so the twenty-four second clock was was different. The, what I really liked, actually, being a press guy, is when the ball is live, no one can call timeout. So if I get trapped by Coach Andrews' run and jump, you can't bail yourself out with a timeout, which I really like. Because I think timeouts were never meant for that. Timeouts are meant to talk to your kids, not to bail you out when you get in trouble. So you, you can't call timeouts when the ball is live. Mm-hmm. It has to be a dead ball situation. Even and players? So, so that, was a, that was a lot different. We actually trained against an American team uh, at one of our uh, month-long uh, workouts. And they, they kept trying to call timeout when we had them trapped and uh, it was so funny because the referee would just shake his head (laughs) and say, no way. So yeah, it's just, it's a different, there's no doubt it's a different type of game. You got to think a little bit more quickly uh, in terms of what you want to stay ahead of the game a little bit more, but yeah, what an experience. Awesome. A couple of years ago, I kind of, you know, led with this uh, Wisconsin basketball coaches association uh, hall of famer. Uh, that that had to be uh, a, a thrill of a lifetime, a, a real validation, I, I, I would think, uh, of of your career and everything that you had done. You know, just kind of, you know, uh, what were the emotions like when you when you got the call or the the you know, however the the process worked. Yeah, I got the call from Jerry Pettigue, and I'll tell you, everybody knows Jerry Pettigue yep. up here. He's got about a thousand twenty some wins. He just retired. Uh, he's the executive director of the WBCA. He called me. Uh, he had told me that they were looking at inducting me earlier in the year, uh, but you never know. And, and and when you go into this business and everybody says the same thing because it's true, you never think about this. You never, you just think about how much fun it is to coach basketball, the passion that you have to be successful and to make kids successful and be part of their lives. And so when I got the call, it was pretty emotional. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, Certainly, thank couldn't thank him enough in in terms of of uh, receiving that honor, and, and it is it's nothing but an honor. And and, and I when I uh, wrote on my Facebook page and on my social media, you know, I thanked all my assistant coaches and all my players, uh, all the administration that helped me through this. Because as we know, it's not one person doing this; it's a series of so many people that impact your life and, and help you out and make you better for what you are. And uh, that, that was pretty emotional. And then the banquet 
uh, you know, there's seven, eight, nine hundred people there, mm-hmm. and you know, it was it was really it's really well done. They put together a super nice video, uh, and it's just uh, very heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Coach, you have uh, now the the a different perspective. Uh, your 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 career is is. Uh, has wound down here, and uh, I, you know, I, I, I guess I kind of wanted to ask you just a, a couple of things about that. Uh, you know, looking back on it, you've had a you've had a heck of a career. Like I said, Hall of Famer, international experience, all these different things. Uh, but if you were to look back at it, if you could hop in the DeLorean and cla- uh, you know fire up the flex capacitor to one point twenty one gigawatts and, and go back in time. What would maybe be a, a couple of things that you would have done differently in your career? Well, the thing is, is that we always learn as we go along. And mm-hmm. there's so many things that, uh, you know, I kept learning all the way out to the very end. And, you know, I would go into my office at three o'clock in the morning, watch videotape on the computer about different offenses and defenses and, and drills. And I, I see so many things that I would say, wow, why didn't I think of that? Because that's really it's really a great way to teach, but to me, it's all about if I could go back, it would be just become a better teacher. Uh, you know, because when you, when you start on this profession, no matter what experience you've had, you're in a situation where you, you just never know enough. You're, you're just kind of like trial and error mm-hmm. and something you think, something you think should work and it doesn't, you get frustrated. The other thing that I learned later in my career, but it wasn't too late is don't put so much emphasis on winning and winning will come. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of, you know, I remember back, I would be devastated every time I lost, uh, you know, and, and it would bother me so much. And then it would take me, you know, a couple of days to get going again. And so I wasted all that time. And I found out the less I worried about winning, the more I won. So that, that to me, if I tell coaches that stop worrying about winning, winning will take care of itself. Just worry about the process. Don't worry. Just do the process. Mm-hmm. And 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 go through the process and enjoy the games, and, and and when the game is over, look up at the scoreboard and say, "Oh, we won or we lost," but then get, get ready to move on to the next challenge. And that's something that I learned down down the stretch of my career, and I really enjoyed it. So if I had a tough season where we weren't winning as many games as I would have liked, you would never. If you talk to me, you'd think we were having an undefeated season because mm-hmm. I was always really positive really up really ready for the next practice really ready for the next game and i really enjoyed it. I, I i enjoyed the process what what did you like more practices or games uh you know i i, I don't i know that's a question that people ask a lot and um i know i enjoyed them both i don't think i i think i i i'm kind of a different cat like that in other words I was really I I spent eighty hours a week like when I was at UW South I was in my office and gym for eighty hours a week mm-hmm. and to me eighty hours a week was like twenty hours a week it was sure. it wasn't even work it, it was I had such a passion for it so I really enjoyed hanging out with the kids in practice I enjoyed hanging out with the kids in games I enjoyed the bus rides even if they, even if they were four hours five hours six hours long and so I really enjoyed both of them tremendously. Mm-hmm. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. 
Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece, with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin video library. All right, Coach, at this time, we're going to transition. Uh, and uh, at this point, we, we go through our, our John Wooden quote of the day. And uh, our, our first 100 episodes, it was the Don Meyer quote of the day. And, and now we're on the second 100, so we're on the John Wooden quote of the day here. So uh, what uh, what we've got here is... Uh, uh, wooden, a lifetime of observations, and I've got a quote from that book, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it to you here, word for word, and uh, w- would just love to get your perspective on on what Coach Wooden was referring to there. So, are are, are you ready, uh, Eddie? I am ready. You're, you're ready for the John Wooden quote of the day. So, absolutely. All right. So, from page 89 of Wooden, a lifetime of observations. Here's our John Wooden quote of the day. Ego is feeling confident. And important, knowing you can do the job. But if you get to feeling that you are too important, that you're indispensable, or that you can do the job without any real effort and hard work, without the correct preparation, that's arrogance. Arrogance is a weakness. Boy, isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think the biggest word we use now, which I think says a lot to what he just said there, is that word entitlement. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of athletes that feel they are entitled, uh, and probably some coaches as well, that feel like they are entitled to something uh, when when they're actually not. In other words, this game and, and what we uh, strive to be the greatest we can be, you know, it, it's giving us everything. But we're, what we're giving back is uh, God-given knowledge and, and athleticism, and, a, and an athletic body and, and a healthy body. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, when you were reading that, I kept hearing in my mind the word entitlement. And that's one of the problems that we have with some of our athletes today. Not, not, I'm not saying a lot of them, but some of our athletes and even some of our coaches, uh, they, they make some, some poor decisions because they feel they're entitled. How do you battle that entitlement, coach? Well, I, I, again, I think, you know, I look at, you know, one of the, one of the coaches I really love in the NCAA is Nick Cronin. Mm-hmm. I've listened to a lot of him. I've listened to him talk a lot and he is so good at bringing his athletes down to earth and not in a negative way, but in a, in a how to think kind of way. Uh-huh. And he has said so many cool things on, on video uh, about his players and, when they're not playing well, why they're not playing well, his philosophies are really good. And he's just one of those guys that really has it together in terms of talking to his kids and making sure they understand that what, what this game really is all about. Mm -hmm. Do you think it helps him just as an example, uh, because his dad was a high school coach and, and, and had that perspective. And even though he's at UCLA, I'm guessing he still kind of has the high, has the perspective of a high, of a high school coach's kid. Uh, do you think that's maybe part of the reason why? Well, I think when you have a family that's in basketball or in coaching, that's always going to be helped. Look at Danny Hurley yep. and look at what UConn did and Bob Hurley. And, and, you know, it's just like, uh, and Bob Hurley is one of the most respected high school coaches in the history of the game. And you, you know that Danny, 
uh, has, has certainly learned a lot from his dad. And then when he talks, I like how he talks to his team and about his team and about the process and, and what they go through and, and uh, how they do it the right way. And, you know, I just think it's awesome. And there's so many good coaches out there. And there's not some not-so-good coaches. Sure. But there's so many good coaches. If you can find them and listen to them, that will really help your 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 uh, profession uh, and your and your history. Mm-hmm. Well, coach, let's jump into your stuff here. Uh, we, we talked before uh, we started recording here, and so so coach has has an idea of what's going on. Uh, you know, coach Andres has, has got a ton of stuff. Like I said, I referenced it. I'm I'm dating myself. I, I was watching it on VHS, uh, not Betamax, but at least, but you know, VHS. <laughs> and uh, and so coach has done a, a ton of stuff with the run and jump press, and that's how I got first introduced to his his uh, materials again a, a few moons ago, and. Uh, you know, all of that stuff is 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 out there, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it for those that are that are interested in, in hearing about it. We're gonna talk about it uh, for for a little while here. Uh, but if you, if you really want to take a deep deep dive with that type of stuff, uh, you know, Coach has a ton of stuff out there already, and you and so if you want to go there, uh, I really really encourage you. Uh, like I said, I, I've I've been there. Uh, we do a, I, I used to do a lot of run and jump. Now we've kind of changed our philosophy a little bit, but we're still jumping out of certain things that we do. We're trying to teach our kids that. So if if you want to know about the run and jump press, and I think the run and jump press, uh, if you could teach it, and, and we're not really going to get into the scheme of it. What I really want to talk to you about, Coach, is just kind of the overall, uh, what you need to prepare yourself for, what you need to look for with your team, so forth and so on, with the run and jump. Uh, but he's got so many great materials out there. You can go to his website and 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 so you know just just a lot of good stuff there. So uh, let, let's dive into to the run and jump here. Um, you know, you know, Coach, tell tell us. Yeah, I guess let's start with that before we even get into any of your thing. You know, what are what are some places where they can find your materials on the Run and Jump Press? Well, again, I, I never go to my website very often. I think it's EddieBasketball dot com, but I, I think that's what it is. Um, but anyway, the uh, the Run and Jump has been uh, really good to me overseas uh, in the international game, in the college game. You know, we won three national championships with uh, that in the college game and. I really uh, have found that the run and jump kind of levels the playing field. And I've had a lot of coaches over the years, over the past few years, where I've gone to their school and instituted the run and jump for their teams. And I've got three or four state type championship teams that have run it and runner, state runner-ups and, and uh, conference champions where they haven't won the conference for a long time. And so I really think it's, it's a great way to play and the biggest thing I like about it, not that you have to do this, but I like it gives you the opportunity to play more players, mm-hmm. play more kids. Mm-hmm. And if you can play more kids, you're going to have a much happier program. You're going to have a more successful program. You're going to have a long-term program that will be successful down down the road because you're developing kids. And you're going to have a lot more fun in the program. So uh, I really, really as all, always have been this kind of guy. Uh, I'm a big Rick Patino guy. Rick Patino's a big run and jump coach. Way back in the day, Dean Smith mm-hmm. at North Carolina, he was a big run and jump guy. He's kind of he's kind of was named the guy who kind of invented the the run and jump. And so you know, and and uh, smart uh, smart from Marquette, 
Uh, you know, he's yep. a big press press guy, running jump guy, and and so I've always liked to watch coaches that extend the floor and and put that kind of pressure on the teams and and turn them over or make their shots not so effective. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's there's three big questions I want to ask you on the run and jump, coach. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, folks, if you want to check out more of, of coaches, uh, materials, it's, it's championship productions. He's got his website, so forth and so on. So there's plenty of places to go to, to that. But I, I think to, to me, uh, there's, there's three big questions that you need to ask yourself. And this is the direction I'm coming from, Eddie. So, uh, three big questions that you need to ask yourself before you dive into the to pressure and, and especially something like the run and jump it's not like obviously it's not like a diamond press where it's you go here 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 and here's the you know the, the rotations are pretty simple um my first question in your opinion what kind of team do you need to run uh the run and jump when you're looking at your team what are some of the qualities in your kids or your overall team that that you need to look at to to implement the run and jump well, there's no doubt if you have a lot of, of slow, uh, I'll go the other way, teams that can't that really shouldn't run it. If you have a really slow team, maybe a couple bigger players that aren't very fast and you want to play them because they're they're the heights of your program, probably not going to be that kind of team to run the run and jump uh, because you don't want to get them out in space. Uh, but people make the mistake in the run and jump that you have to have a super athletic team, you have to be super fast, and that is simply not true. Now, again, if you're super slow, you're not going to run and jump. And one time I had a, a coach in a clinic ask me, Coach, I've got eight guys that are really slow and, and uh, don't defend well. And, and I said, well, should I run the run and jump? And I said, well, it doesn't matter what you run because you're probably going to lose anyway. And, of course, everybody <laughs> laughed. And I was actually kidding. But the thing is, is that, yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I'm just going to go with the, what I believe to be a myth. If you feel like you have to have those great athletes, now if you have the great athletes and you got a lot of speed, doesn't matter what you do, you're probably going to win anyway because mm-hmm. you got a lot of good athletic talent there. Mm-hmm. But you don't need those in order to run the run and jump. You just need to have kids well versed in how to rotate, how to protect the rim, how to trap and come out of traps, how to jump in the open court, how to uh, shade the ball away from the rim, and then rebound when they miss. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of, uh, my, and this is my second question here, I think one of the things that frustrates people when it comes to trying to implement the run and jump is it is a time-consuming thing. It is not something that you could put in on a Monday and the, the kids kind of have it by Thursday, you know, type of a thing. So if you are a coach considering implementing the run and jump, uh, how much time do you really believe that a coach needs to give? And again, I'm talking just, I'm painting with a really, really broad brush here, coach. How long does a does a team need to give themselves to really get the rotations and everything that you're doing with the run and jump? Here's what I'm going to tell you, Mark. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit in terms of this. You can, I, When I go into these high schools, I spend five hours, four and a half hours, four hours. And when I, when I leave that high school, the running jump is completely in. Mm-hmm. Now, are they great at it? Of course not. Yeah. But what happens, what's really good about the running jump is if they had a game that night or they had a game the next day, they would and should and could run the run and jump. Because all you have to remember in the run and jump is protect the rim, don't fall, and get the rebounds 
when they miss because they're going to do a lot of missing. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, is that what's really cool about the run and jump is, yeah, it, it takes a while, like anything else, to, to incorporate it and get really good at it. But what's nice about the run and jump, it builds itself. Mm -hmm. In other words, every day that you work on it or it's in the next game and the next game, it just naturally gets better, not only day after day after day, but it gets better possession after possession after possession, game after game after game. And by the end of the year, you should be, you're going to be really good at it. Most presses don't maybe operate that way. In other words, this one builds itself, and that's what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. What are the two, three, four uh, biggest pieces of advice that you have for coaches if they want to implement the run and jump? Well, the first thing is is they need to talk to someone who understands it, and they need to get their mind, their head wrapped around the fundamental, what, what are we looking for in the run and jump? Uh, again, I'll say it like I said earlier, it's not an A to B to C to D press, like you said with the diamond. You know, every, everybody has, has a rotation that they operate, but obviously because of that, it can be less productive because the offensive team knows where you're going as well. Mm -hmm. In the run and jump, all we got to keep working on is rotation, ball pressure, shading the ball towards the sideline, trapping the bat, teaching our kids how to trap the ball and get out of the traps and protecting the rim. Mm -hmm. And, and as, as soon as you keep doing those kinds of things and then help the kids understand what they're doing and then show them on videotape, you know, when they're, when they're out of position and they need to get in a little better position, doesn't matter what press we're running, the position is everything. Mm -hmm. Position and rotation and rebound. And that's what this press is all about. So the biggest thing is to get coaches to wrap their head around how to teach this and what are you looking for. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm writing. I, I, I'm learning right along here. Um, <laughs> so give me a second to write this down here. Um, so, all right, got it. All right. Anything else? Uh, again, broad spectrum that 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 I didn't say here, Coach, about the run and jump that that you'd like to throw in there before we move on. All I can all I can say to coaches is is that take a look take a look at it because it's 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 really I I think and obviously I'm a little biased because I teach it I think it's easier to teach the run and jump than it is to teach the diamond or because again it's all kind of subjective and abstract in terms of what you're trying to do and the last thing I'll say is don't think that we just run around there's a method yep. to the madness there's a method to it. And therefore, you know, we do have some things we're looking for. But what's nice about it, if, we, if somebody makes a, a bad rotation, 99% of the time we're still okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think two things freak people out about pressing, and in particular the run and jump. Number one, it's, it's like you said, it's not an A to B to C thing. And number two, because it's not that, they get beat for a couple of layups, you know, a couple of times, especially when you're learning it. And they're like, oh, we can't do it. We can't do it. We, we you know, without like, question. You know, without you, you, you gotta. There's a risk reward to it, and you gotta, you gotta stay with it. You, you have to stay with it. I think that's that's to me. That's one of the biggest things with it. it, it to me, I, I would say, and it's like everything else. The coaches that have committed to it, whether it's through me or just themselves, have been very successful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um. All right, hey, coach. Let's jump into your practice. 
uh, setup. Some of the things that you do in practice that that you didn't practice. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that. What did you like to do in your practices? Uh, what did you feel like you did well in your practices? So forth and so on. Just kind of go through uh, your practice philosophy and and, and how uh, an average uh, practice setup would go with with uh, Coach Andrus and his teams. Well, first of all, obviously, practices have to have a variety. In other words, you, you obviously you have a practice plan in terms of what are my emphasis today. One of the things I'll use in the example is coaches will tell me, geez, we don't play defense as well as your team does. I said, well, let me look at your practice plan. And I'll look in their practice plan. They spend five minutes on defense every day, and they, and they can't figure out, you know, why their defense isn't as good. So one of the things that has to happen is you as a coach have to determine what is really important to you, and then your practice plan needs to reflect that. The second thing is your practice has to be exciting. There has to be energy. I'm a big music guy. And so therefore, and obviously when I'm talking, we can't be playing music. Mm -hmm. But now we have a situation where we can take our smartphone, we can turn the music on and off. We can either use the speakers in the in the gym or or we can go out and buy one of those portable ones that you just roll into the gym. It's very, very easy to move around. And when you're doing like some shooting stuff, when you're doing some transition stuff. Uh, and if you, any time that you can play music, you want to crank those tunes mm-hmm. because what that does is provide energy for your players. If players, I, I remember years ago I was speaking at a clinic and I was showing them my practice plans and how I run my practices. And uh, one of the coaches said to me, uh, kids are different now. It's so hard to keep them motivated. You know, it's like they get bored. Mm-hmm. And I said to him and I said to the whole group, I said, if your practice is boring, it's because you are boring. Mm-hmm. So therefore, yep. you have to change the process. And music has really helped with that. Now, again, it, it's not a camp like you're not going to do a million different things because then you're a jack of all trades and master, master of nothing. Mm-hmm. But you have to organize your practice where you you always look for spots where it could be a little mundane and you want to get rid of that spot somehow mm-hmm. or change it up a little bit. And the fact, and the other thing is, is that when you practice, don't always have the practice schedule the same way, especially early in the season. Like if I, we start out with shooting and practice, maybe, it, maybe we'll end in shooting out the next day. So the kids, the kids don't get, Oh, we're doing that again. Oh, we're doing that again. The third thing I'll say, or the fourth thing, whatever I'm on is, is coaches need uh, to use the clock when they practice. You need, to, you need to have times on your sheet. Say, if I'm going to spend three minutes on this drill or five minutes on this segment, I put five minutes on the clock. When that clock runs out, you don't have to necessarily stop right there, but it lets you know you're out of time because that will keep you on schedule. As coaches, we talk too much. We procrastinate too much in terms of we don't like something. We keep hammering on it, hammering it. If you can use a clock, it keeps you on schedule, and it keeps the, the practice flowing. The other thing we talked about was the scrimmage part. Don't be afraid to scrimmage, uh, five-minute scrimmage, three-minute scrimmage, eight-minute scrimmage. You never want to play a whole game. You don't need to do that. because you want. To, and when you scrimmage, you have situations that you're working on. This scrimmage, we're going to, only one team will press, the other team will not press Then for three minutes. The next three minutes, we'll flip-flop that. Uh, we're going to run zone offense. We're going to run man offense. Whatever we're working on, every scrimmage has a different criteria because you're trying to get better. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things I think where coaches will, will make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, they have to understand 
that you're responsible for the energy in that practice. Here's a here's a question for you, Coach. Uh, in your practices, who got to pick the music? Uh, the, the biggest thing I'll tell you, I never let the kids do it because, <laughs> first of all, their, half their music is is to me it's boring, and I and I I need to be energized as well. Secondly, I understand they don't want jock jams, you know the old <laughs> jock jam tape, oh, yeah. tapes. I oh, understand yeah. that. There is so much good music out there that uh, is just jacket up music that is good today, was good back in the day, uh, that even the kids will like. And like I say, it's got to have energy to it. Mm-hmm. It's got to have a lot of energy to it. That's what we're looking for. I always tell my kids, uh, you know, here's here's the deal with the devil that they have to make with me. Uh, I tell them, you know, we're going to listen to music and we're going to we're going to have that as part of our practice. And as long as you play hard. And as long as we have great energy, as long as you're concentrating, uh, we can listen to your music. Uh, obviously, with parameters, it's got to be clean and you know so yeah. forth and so on. But if you don't play hard, uh, we're going to fire up some REO Speedwagon. We're going to fire up some Duran Duran. <laughs> we're going to fire up uh, some some U2. And 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 until you earn that privilege back. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be here in Rio or hungry like the wolf when you're leaving the gym, you know. So that, country western. What's that? Country western. Uh, you know, I was never much into the country western stuff. I, I did a little Garth Brooks, but I was I was kind of a true child of the '80s uh, with yep. with the hair metal and the new wave and, and all of that good stuff. So, um, what uh, what were some of the things that you had your assistant coaches do in practice? You know, having your assistants well organized and this is what you want them to do, that's, again, that as a head coach, that's on you. And because, you know, the mistakes I made early in my career is I expected my assistants to be 100% in, involved, uh, really, you know, working hard. And, and you know, if, if we're running a half-court offense, they, they're on the baseline talking rebounding or whatever they want to talk about, what, you know, cheering the kids on and talking to them and, and – uh, giving them energy. And what I found out by not organizing my assistants, they'd stand on the sideline, be looking at their watch. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're getting that $3,000 check. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they couldn't wait to get out of there. And, and that, and that was as much on me as anybody else. And so the thing is, is that, uh, having specific assignments, whether it be, uh, charting something, or again, my biggest thing is there's always, and, and I would tell my assistants this all the time. There is no reason. I mean, I'm going to be chewing raw meat during this practice, foaming at the mouth, ex- excited to be here. And I said, I need the same out of you. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not doing that, the question, the question you have to answer is why not? Why would you stand on the sideline or, or fall asleep standing, you know, mentally when you could be helping out with boxing out, talking to a specific kid on something? You know, there's always something, some chatter, you know, that we can have that'll, that'll help us become a better basketball team. Did you, with your assistant coaches, would you, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, would you give them like a homework assignment in the offseason? Hey, you know, Fred, I really want you to dive in on rebounding drills and come back with some good stuff for us for, for our rebounding because we got to rebound better next year. You know, obviously I'm going to be looking at it too if we feel like we need to rebound better. But but things like that, were, was that some, some things that you did with your assistant coaches to kind of challenge them as well? Without without question. Uh, there was two years back, I told one of my assistants, our defense is not good enough. 
and I need you to be the defensive coordinator. And I asked him if he wanted to do that, and he said, heck yeah. And that that year we were uh, fifth in the country in defense. And the thing is, he did a wonderful job. I got him some videotapes from DVDs that he wanted to look at. Uh, and then he, in practice, he would actually run the defensive section. The more responsibility you can give your assistants, the more involved they become, the better you are. You are only as good as a head coach. You're only as good as your assistant coaches. If your assistant coaches are weak, you have a weak program. Mm-hmm. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Let's uh, let's talk statistics, Eddie. Uh, let's 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 go there. Uh, you know what? And, and again, at the at the college game, uh, you probably had a little bit more of access to statistics. You know, I'm teaching six periods of history and government every day. A little bit harder to get that. It's it's easier now than it was. But uh, you know, tell tell us a little bit about your analysis of statistics. What were some of the big things that you looked at that you thought, uh, if, if we're plus or minus in these areas, we're either going to be successful or not successful? What were the big things that you emphasized? The biggest thing that, that happens when we talk about statistics, the first thing I would like to say, which I really believe this, is the kids don't really care a lot. Mm-hmm. In other words, statistics, I think, are for coaches. We, you know, we get we get involved with posting statistics and posting analysis and whatever. And I'm not saying, I'm not, if you want to do that as a coach, that's okay with me. If, if, if it works for you, that that's, that's up to you what, what you want to do. But I have found most of the time my kids were not that interested in it. To me, statistics are for me to look at productivity of our players. And so the biggest thing, going back to your example of, you know, you teach six periods of class. And, and the biggest thing for us is we I can break down videotape a lot more because I have time to break down the games. Mm-hmm. And so so what I would tell coaches, that, and, and that I really like this, is I had uh, I, I would take an Excel spreadsheet. And I would have on that Excel spreadsheet uh, the, the stats that were important to me, offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds, tip balls, uh, diving on the floor, taking charges, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Whatever was important to me would be I would make sure that I – and some of the stats I literally had to take off of the film because the stat sheet doesn't give that sure. out anyway. And like I'll give you another, a prime example of some things I would do like, if I would throw you a bounce pass and you go in for a layup, Marty, and you miss it, on on Coach Eddie's stat sheet, I got an assist because gotcha. you missed it. You obviously missed the, missed the shot, but it was a perfect pass. You just missed it. On the re- real stat sheet, there's no assist there. Mm-hmm. But I would give I would give 
the player the assist for that. Mm-hmm. If I jumped up and I would hit smack a tip a ball to one of my teammates, he got the rebound. I would also get a rebound for that because I really believe that's important. So what I would do with this stat sheet is I would fill out all these numbers, uh, and it really didn't, didn't take that long. I'd have to watch the game, which I was going to watch it anyway. Sure. And then I would create the formula that would uh, create a number of, of production for each player. And I, and I could do it just as a flat-out number, or I could do it per minute, whichever way I decided to go with it. And that told me who was valuable and who wasn't valuable. And not, you know, wasn't valuable, but wasn't as productive. And so what I tell coaches is decide what's important to you. Like turnovers would be minus two every turnover. Uh, offensive rebound would be plus two every offensive rebound. So I would, I would create that formula that I would just click a button and it would automatically calculate uh, the, uh, you know, the production number. And then I could, then I could see who was, who produced the best during each game and who produced the best during the year. That told me a lot about our players. And I actually used some of that in order to decide who started, who didn't start, uh, who played more, who didn't play more. And it usually really helped me out. But again, it was for me. It wasn't for the players. Because not that they don't care about it, but if they ever came in to talk to me, then I had it. Mm-hmm. I had it and I could I could say, you know, this is your production value. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how can I keep – and I would tell them that. Yeah. And I would say, I need more production out of you. When you go in the game, rebounds are important. Diving on the floor uh, is important. Deflections are important. You know, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I just got to say, Coach, if you would have gave me the perfect pass, I, I, I wouldn't have blown the layup. I would have I hit it for you. All right. Just... <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> uh, hey, last thing here, Coach. Let's wrap up with this. Uh, let, let's talk about communicating – with with parents, you, you were a high school coach for a long time. You're a college coach for a long time. Uh, you, you're coaching somebody's child, uh, and a lot of a lot of times people think even at the you know at the college level they get to the college level. Well, you don't have to deal with parents. Well, you don't have to deal with parents as much, but they're they're still you, you are still responsible for for a, a child's well being, a young adult's well being, and their experience in in the college and so forth and so on. So. Uh, what, what advice, what are some things that you've done with the communication part with, with your parents and, uh, to make that work, uh, so that, that, you know, the kids don't get caught in the middle, that the kids have the best experience that they possibly can. Well, the first thing I will say about that is over the years, I've talked to a lot of coaches and I have talked to a lot of coaches who say, I don't deal with parents. I don't, you know, I don't talk to them. Uh, I found out the farther I stay away from it's better off, et cetera, et cetera. And I always would tell them, I said, well, that sounds good until they come after you. Then obviously it's, it, it's not all that good of an idea. Yeah. I go exactly opposite. Even when I was in high school. And you'd be surprised, Marty, how much the parents have now infiltrated the college game. Oh, I'm, oh um, I can, I can yeah, only yeah, imagine. It's, it's, it's yeah. not as bad as high school. Not as bad as junior high. But it, it's it infiltrated the college game as well. But I, this is what I tell co- coaches. I always said... Kill them with kindness. Kill them with information. Kill them with how much you love their son or daughter. Kill them with how things are going with the team. Uh, always be positive. Uh, you know, so tell them how, how happy you are that their son or daughter is playing for the team, et cetera, et cetera. Because I, I always told people this. I, as, as a coach, 
I never had as much trouble with parents and I could always see them saying behind the scenes, I, you know, I make this up, but I could see them, boy, that coach Andrews doesn't know anything. He's pretty dumb, <laughs> but boy, he sure communicates well. Yeah. And I could just see them saying that Yeah. because I was a big time communicator, a big time marketer. And now with all the things you can do on social media and so on, all the positive stuff you can put out there about sons and daughters, everybody wants to play. Everybody wants playing time PT. Uh, but I'll tell you what, you need to communicate uh, with administrators, with parents, with family. Uh, you can do it via email now. You can do it via social media. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, the people that are killing that in terms of doing a lot of it are the people that are in a much better shape than the people that say, I just don't I just don't want to deal with them. Now, mm-hmm. again, the people that don't want to deal with them, good luck. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe, you've, maybe you've got the right idea, but I don't think so. Well you better win and you better win a lot. And even if you win a lot, you're still going to have issues with that because with lack of communication, as the saying goes, it, with, with lack of communi- communication, negativity fills in. And and most people, and, and you and I are probably guilty of it as well, Coach, uh, we think the worst rather than thinking, uh, well, they, they might be thinking this way, you know, and probably, no, they got, you know, Coach Andrus is, you know, blah, 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 whatever it may be. And, and I think that that over-communication piece, that's something I've always tried to do, not always as successfully as I would like, but I've always believed in over-communication. Like right now, I'm, I'm, I'm biting at the, uh, or chomping at the bit to, to get our summer schedules out to our parents because I want to give them as much as I can, time as they can to get their summers set up and ready to go. Um, things like that, it, it, those, are, those are very controllable things with, within your grasp that you can alleviate a lot of issues with by, and it's not that big a deal. It's it's really really simple. It's not a major decision. It's not a, a, a something that leaves you uh, looking at the ceiling at night trying to figure out about your team. Those are those are uh, wounds that don't need to be self inflicted. That a lot of times coaches self inflict on themselves. But well, we are on the same page on that one because that's so so true. You know, parents are not getting any easier. And the more we can communicate with them, at least that's one piece of the pie that they can't complain about. Mm-hmm. Eddie Andrist, longtime coach, 48 years, terrific career. Uh, coach, this has been a privilege uh, for me. I've, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation this evening. I, I hope you've enjoyed your time on a pen and a napkin. I have, Marty. It's been great. Oh, awesome. Uh, any any uh, social media, any website, you know, you, you got your website, any, anything else that you'd like to plug on your side of thing, if, if they want to learn more about you, your career, your philosophies, all that type of stuff? Well, again, on my website, it, it's pretty much got everything and even my social media uh, materials on there as well. And the biggest thing I'll say is because I'm not, because I'm not full-time coaching anymore, I'm helping some teams out. I'm running a lot of camps over the, the summer, but I, I, I am a hundred percent, uh, in everybody's uh, court in terms of helping them, uh, free of charge. They can call me up anytime, ask questions about whatever they want to talk about, uh, and I will be happy to talk talk them through it. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not in this business to make money. I'm in this business to help coaches become more successful and, and have more fun in what they're doing. And so any, any way I can help coaches, uh, please just contact me. Awesome. Great stuff, Coach. Uh, if you could hold the line just for a minute, want to wrap everything up here. 
again, Eddie Andrus, longtime Wisconsin coach, international coach. A lot of great, great information here today uh, with Coach Eddie. Just a terrific, terrific conversation. Uh, we, of course, want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. Download, rate, review not only this one, uh, but all the other stuff that we do. Uh, subscribe, like, push it out there. Uh, we just, you know, we want to help coaches. Uh, questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. Hopefully by the time that you hear this, we've made some adjustments to the website. We've got some new things out there. Uh, we've got our coaches clinic videos that I'm I'm uh, getting very close. Maybe by the time you hear this podcast, they're going to be available for sale to the general public. And, and so uh, check those out. So uh, again, episode 170, Eddie Andrus. Uh, terrific, terrific basketball coach from the great state of Wisconsin. As a, as a, as somebody that was uh, raised in Iowa, it's hard for me to compliment Wisconsin too much. Coach, a little Big Ten rivalry there, uh, but uh, terrific conversation with Coach Andrus, and I hope you folks enjoy. It. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day. <laughs>